It's good to see everyone here tonight. The book of 2 Samuel. The book of, for the first time, the book of 2 Samuel. And so uh, now as we're getting into 2 Samuel, we'll also be able to, at times, cross-reference over into the book of 1 Chronicles. As 1 Chronicles uh, was, just as a little bit of history, was uh, that was written when Israel returned from the Babylonian captivity. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings. That was written prior to the Babylonian captivity. 1st and 2nd Chronicles was written afterwards. And so 1st Chronicles uh, begins with the... With, the, uh, with David coming to the throne. And so uh, we will be able to, as we continue through the life of David, um, be able to get either um, even some insight and some things there from First Chronicles and uh, looking forward to as we now get to David as king. We're, we're not there yet, but, uh, but we're getting there. Uh, let's pick it up in verse... Um, uh, actually, just turn back... Your, uh, one page to 1 Samuel chapter 31. We need to get the context of, of what's going on here as we get to 2 Samuel chapter 1. The Bible says, 1 Samuel 31, verse number 1, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and his sons, and the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua. Let's try to say that one five times. And Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded of the archers. Then, then said Saul unto his armor bearer, Draw thy sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. So Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer, all his men, that same day together. Verse number 1 of 2 Samuel chapter 1. Now it came to pass after the death of Saul... When David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, remember, David has not been near this battle. God had delivered from him from that. He went and chased the Amalekites. He, the Bible says, And David had abode two days in Ziklag. It came to pass on the third day that, behold, a man came out of the camp of Saul with his clothes rent and earth upon his head. And so it was when he came to David that he fell to the earth and did obeisance. And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel and I, am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? What, what's the report? How did things go? I pray thee, tell me. And he answered that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are, are also are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan his son are dead also. And David said unto the young man that told him, how knowest thou that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? Is this just hearsay and battle rumors, or do you actually have a real report you're giving to me? And the young man told him, that told him, said, As I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me, 
and called unto me, and I answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Where art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me, and slay me, for anguish is come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him, because I, am, I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head, the bracelet that was on his arm, and have brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and rent them. Likewise, all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan his son and for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. And David said unto the young man that told him, Whence art thou? And he answered, I am the son of a stranger and a Malachite. And David said unto him, How wast thou not afraid to stretch forth thine hand to destroy the Lord's, Lord's anointed? And David called one of the young men and said, Go near, fall upon him. And he smote him and he died. And David said unto him, Thy blood be upon thy head, for thy mouth hath testified against thee, saying, I have slain the Lord's anointed. And David lamented with this lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan his son. Also he bade them teach the children of Judah the use of the bow. Behold, it is written in the book of Jasher. The beauty of Israel is slain upon thine high places. How are the mighty fallen? Tell it not in Gath, publish it not in the streets of um, Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. Ye mountains of Gilboa, let there, not be, let there be no dew, let there be, neither let there be rain upon you, nor fields of offering, for there the shield of the mighty is vilely cast away, the shield of Saul, as though he had not been anointed with oil. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned away empty. Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant in their eyes, in their lives, and in their death they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Ye daughters of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you with, in scarlet and other delights and put ornaments of gold upon your apparel. How are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? O Jonathan, thou wast slain in thine high places." I am distressed for thee, thy brother, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was wonderful, passing the love of women. How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? It's an interesting text, isn't it? Uh, the title tonight is Keeping a Right Heart When God Delivers. Keeping a right heart when God delivers. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help, and then we'll get into it tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you tonight, and I just thank you, Lord, for, the, for your word, for, the, for how it can speak to us and challenge us. Help us, Lord, guide us. I pray that you would uh, teach us, Lord, tonight. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Encourage us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's been said, said many different ways, but sometimes... The test of your character and the, the greater test of your, of your character and of your heart is not when you're in trouble. It is not when you lose, but when you succeed. 
Okay, when things go your way, sometimes the greater test is not when, man, we lost. Having good sportsmanship when you lose, sometimes the greater test is having the good sportsmanship when you win and having the, the right spirit when things work out the way it's supposed to and, and the way you've wanted to. We've all, um, we've all met sore winners and uh, that kind of thing as well. But um, David has been working, David has been serving the Lord. He's been uh, waiting for God to deliver him for a very long time, right? Have, and as we uh, picked it up in 1 Samuel chapter 31, God had finally brought his judgment on Saul. God had finally, in his timing, in his way, without the help of David, without the help of David's men, without um, uh, David manipulating, God had brought the judgment on Saul in justice in uh, just as he had warned Saul what happened because of his rebellion against God. Saul had been living without God for a long time. Let's just get a little bit of review. Um, well over half of his 40-year reign had been lived without God. Very likely over 35 years of Saul's reign, Saul had lived with the promise, your son is not going to reign after you. I've rent the kingdom out of your hand. Now, Saul had started out right. He had um, been given a new heart. He had been anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. God had chosen him. He was going to lead Israel, and God had given him initial victory. Uh, an um, Ammonite had attacked the city of Jabesh-Gilead and had uh, said, we're going to uh, thrust out all of your right eyes. We're going to just horrible things that took place in warfare back then. We're going to do that. God had moved Saul as the new king of Israel. He had called the armies of Israel together, and God had given them a great victory. He had delivered the people of Israel. He had, he had helped the tribes kind of come together. They were now much more united than they had been under the time of, judge of the judges. But in 1 Samuel chapter 15, when God gave the commandment to Saul, you go and wipe out the Amalekites, the same people that had attacked Ziklag. Okay, you go and you destroy them. This is God's judgment. Saul had listened to the voice of the people and spared the best, right? He had said, oh, we're going to serve God by disobeying God. He had rebelled against God, and he had never repented of that. And Samuel said, that's where Samuel said, um, rebellion and as the sin of witchcraft. Um, this is not right. And because of that, an evil spirit of the Lord had come upon Saul, and Saul had lived a miserable existence. Now, he was still in the king. He was uh, on the kingship. He was still on the throne. He was still the anointed of the Lord. But now there was an evil spirit. He, was, he could not enjoy living outside of God's will. Okay, that's, that's not going to happen. And because of Saul living without God, he had made many rebellious, many hurtful choices to David, to his own nation. He had not been able to lead them in victory. Because of Saul's rebellion against God, we know this from the series. God had chosen him a man that would be a king after his own heart. God had chosen him, David, to be the king. And even though David was anointed to be king, God's timing was not right. 
God's, David was not ready to be king yet. Uh, the nation of Israel was not ready for David to be king yet. And so over the past 12 to 18 years, David has endured an incredible amount of hardship, an incredible amount of suffering, of pain, from, mostly from the hand of Saul. David's, we, we would say this, David's greatest problems, I'm using that in quotation somewhat, David's greatest problems, great, David's greatest hurts had not come from the Philistines, but had come from Saul, come from the person who has pledged to protect him, who was his own father-in-law, right? David had dodged at least three spears, lied about, slandered, had his wife taken away and given to another man, been chased all over the land of Israel. I mean, we start talking about the hurts and the problems that David had faced. But during this time, at least twice, that's recorded in the scriptures, um, not only was Saul, David not seeking to kill Saul, but Saul had literally walked right into David's hands. Had walked in and say, I'm here, kill me. Basically, that's what Saul did. I mean, walked in completely unaware of the situation. But David had said, no, this is, it's not in my hand to do. I can't do wrong and please God at the same time. I can't take matters into my own hand. God is going to work this out in his time. By the way, there's never an excuse for doing wrong. You can't serve God and do wrong at the same time. Um, there's no such thing as a good white lie. Well, it's just going to help people so much. It's just going to... No, no, no. It's, it's never right to do wrong. It's not. We're not going to help God's will by, getting, um, by using human thinking and human reasoning to do that. David's been waiting. Finally, we would say this, God, what took you so long? It, you might not verbalize that, but sometimes that's in our heart. God, uh, you could have dealt with this. We know you're all-powerful. We know you're all-knowing. We know that you had good plans for your people and good plans for, for David and um, that your people were even uh, not where they could have been because of Saul. If David had been their king, it could have been better. God, why didn't you deal with this yet? Sometimes we look at that ourselves. God, we're... Why is this person still in charge? Why is this situation still ongoing when you could do something about that? But we have to trust God's timing. That's why the Bible says that he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he's the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Basically, it's this. Faith is believing that God is God and that God is good. That he, he never changes his character and uh, we have to view life situations through that. That God is still on the throne. He is. Oh, God is never past tense, future tense. He is always present tense. Anywhere in history, God is always present tense. He is and he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. He will bring what is best out. He will accomplish his plans. Finally, God dealt with Saul. Saul died at the hands of the Philistines. Well, he actually died with his own hand, but he, he was killed there in battle. 
The Bible says in 1 Samuel 28 through, um, if you want a weird story, look up 1 Samuel 28, the end of that, where Saul goes and seeks counsel from a witch and calls up Samuel. And uh, by the way, as Christians, we should have no dealings with the occult, with um, fortune telling, with that kind of calling, speaking to the dead. There's people that still claim that today. That has no place in the life of a Christian today. 99.9% of that is fake. Okay, but it's still associated with uh, that which is evil, that which is demonic. We don't need to go there. Um, either God is on the throne or he's not. But Saul went there, sought um, to bring up Samuel. And God said, okay, if you want it that bad, if you, I'll let you speak to Samuel. And Saul said, you're going to die. You and your sons, uh, because thou obeyedest not the voice of the Lord, nor executedest his fierce wrath upon um, Amalek, therefore hath the Lord done this thing unto thee this day. Moreover, the Lord will also deliver thee into the hand of the Philistines. And tomorrow thou and thy sons shalt be with me. The Lord also shall deliver the host of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Note this. Samuel, the prophet, who served God, told Saul, tomorrow, once you die in battle, you and your sons are going to be with me. Think about that. All of, the wicked, all of the hurt that Saul did, all of the wrong thinking that Saul did, Saul did not lose his relationship with God. He didn't. He, was st he, had, he had been given a new heart by God. He, was a, he had been changed in his heart, but he lost and he destroyed everything else. If you want a story of what happens to a Christian who lives without God, that's the story of Saul. It does not end well. Saul brought great destruction and harm to his family, to the nation of Israel. It wasn't just Saul that suffered. The Bible says many of the people are fallen and dead. Right? Isn't, wasn't that the report? There was many families in Israel that were without a father, that were without a son, that were without children because Saul was not where he needed to be. Saul's own sons, including Jonathan, who loved the Lord, who loved David, who had already said, I, I am not going to be the king. I'm going to give that position to you. And he continued to faithfully follow, follow Saul. Why was he following Saul? Because that was the place that God had given him. He was there trying to help, trying to do what he could. You say, doesn't that, that just stinks for Jonathan. I don't think Jonathan had a lot of regrets when he got to heaven. He's like, I did what was right. I honored my father. I wasn't, Jonathan wasn't participating in chasing down David. Not at all. But he stood beside his father and tried to help in every way he can. And he paid for the consequences of his father's decision. When you're not living for God, those you love the most suffer the most. It's not just you. Those you love, love the most suffer the most. This Saul ended his own life in disgrace. Wounded, the archers hit him. He was wounded. He was wounded to the point that he could not run. He could not make his escape. But he was not dead yet. He had not received a mortal wound yet. And he was terrified that the Philistines were going to come and were going to uh, basically slowly kill him or uh, torture him in some way. And so Saul committed suicide. Now, I've met some people who have been taught that suicide is basically an unforgivable sin. Um, that's taught, uh, I believe, 
I, I don't know, but I know in certain, uh, in certain unbiblical teachings, it's taught that if someone commits suicide, there's no way they can go to heaven. Well, Samuel had said, tomorrow you're going to be with me. He had said that. And Saul committed suicide. God doesn't change his word. God doesn't change his promises. Though it is wrong in every sense of the word, it is wrong. Um, it is never a good option. It is, it is the most selfish option you can take. Um, David, or Amy see, Saul did not lose his relationship with God, but he lost everything else. In an interesting note, Saul started out as king, head and shoulders above all the men of Israel, right? And the end, and the end of Saul's life, Fallen, fell, he fell upon his own sword, he fell at the feet of Samuel, he fell at the feet of the witch. Is not that a perfect illustration of the verse in Proverbs written by Sol David's son, Solomon? A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. When you say, my way, I'm going to do this, we look at the proud person going around, you know, head held high, I'm going to do it. No, the end, of the, pride, the end of pride is flat on your face. A man's pride is always going to bring you low. Either you humble, humble yourself before God or God can humble you. And that's never pleasant. But we didn't read there in 1 Samuel, the Philistines came, they found Saul, they took his son and his sons, they took their, their bodies, they cut off their heads, they mutilated them, they took them into the cities of the Philistines. And it was the city of Jabesh-Gilead, the city that Saul had rescued at the beginning of his reign. The men of valor, the, the warriors from that city, went into over 20 miles round trip into the land of the Philistines, removed the bodies and the armor of Saul from the walls of the Philistine city, brought them back and gave them a decent burial because they said, no, no, we're going to honor Saul. He was still the king of Israel. Saul did, did some good things and they honored Saul for that. They returned the help. It's just a dark time. In Israel's history right now. There's a lot of trouble that they're going through. Saul, the end of Saul's reign was terrible. God's judgment was complete, but it was just. It was just, but God's judgment was complete. David knows nothing of this yet, right? He's been, uh, God delivered him from the hand of the Philistines quickly. Now he went, uh, his house, his family had been burned. They went, God delivered his things back into him from the hand of the Amalekites. They came back. They're now picking up the ashes of their homes. They're trying to reset up camp. They're trying to reorganize themselves. They're resting from the incredible uh, trauma that they've been through uh, with that. And on the third day, what we read about, a man from the camp of Saul arrives at Ziklag with the news of the battle. David hadn't read 1 Samuel chapter 28 and 31 yet. He didn't know what was going on. He was completely in the dark about this. But this man arrives in Ziklag. Ziklag was about 80 miles from where the battle had taken place. Uh, so we could say this, this man got on his horse, he was moving, he was, uh, it was exceptional effort that he put in to reach David at this time. He arrives with his clothes rent with earth or dirt on his head, which was a universal sign of mourning. So we know 
David knew the second he saw this man, this is not good news that's coming. Uh, this is bad news. And this man gives a very comprehensive report of the battle, including the, the death of Saul and Jonathan. And then he begins to pad his story a little bit. Okay, we read God's account of the story in 1 Samuel chapter 31. But that doesn't match this guy's story in 2 Samuel chapter 1. He claims responsibilities for Saul's death, and he brings Saul's crown and the, um, the armlet or the, um, the bracelet, something, it would have been a royal insignia. He brought that to David. David, he bows at David's feet. You're going to be the next king of Israel here. I've been here to help you. The way to the throne is clear, David. Saul and his sons are all dead. And, and I helped get rid of Saul. I, I did that. Okay? David is being offered the crown of Saul. Now, no doubt David had prayed for this day, not in a vindictive sense, but in a sense that God's plans will come to pass. David prayed, Lord, would, would you bring me to your plans? Would you let me be the king of Israel as you've promised? Don't you think David had prayed for that? Okay. Don't you think David had wished and longed for his exile and his wanderings to be over? You better believe it that he had prayed for that, that he had long... When can this time be over? When can I uh, enjoy what your plans? And now in one moment of time, it's all come to pass. Saul's gone. Here's the, Here's the crown of Saul right in front of him. Could we say this? God's deliverance had come. Right? Um, God had judged Saul, and it was there for his taking. But how did David and his men respond? They had a godly response. Okay, that's mainly what we're going to look at. That was the introduction. Uh, now we're going to get to the, uh, okay. Uh, no, David and his men, everything they have prayed for, everything they have longed for is now right in front of them. But David and his men, what was their first response? David led his men in this. David did this, then his men followed him. Notice there, it, it says in uh, verse number 11, Then David took hold of his clothes and rent them, and likewise also the men that were with him. So David led his men in doing this. He rent his clothes, and they mourned, and they wept, and they fasted until evening. The idea of mourning was to wail, to, um, with loud cries, weeping, um, there were tears streaming down their cheeks, just, um, I'm sure not with the same severity, but these men had just spent time weeping for their families that were lost, and now they're hearing about what happened to their people and to who, the man who had been their king, the man who had chased them, they wept. The Bible says they fasted, they abstained from food. They said, we're not, uh, we're just taking some time and we're mourning over this. Do you think this was the response the Amalekite was expecting? Just, just think about this. Don't you think, that, we don't know, but from everything we can say, I'm not going to be dogmatic on this, I'm not going to make doctrine on this, but don't you think he was expecting some hooping and hollering? And celebrating? 
We're going to have a feast. We're on our way to the throne. This is exciting. This is great. And all of a sudden, they're weeping. And they're mourning. They wept for Saul. They wept for Jonathan. They wept for the house of Israel, including some of the soldiers that had chased them all those years. Those were some of the ones that had died in battle, and yet those who they, that's who they were weeping for. They treated this as the national tragedy that it was. We don't see David thinking about himself or his plans at all. He was thinking about his people, not his position. David was concerned about what others were going through. So the first thing David did was he wept. He sorrowed with those who had been facing God's judgment. The next thing he did was he rejected the quote-unquote help of the Amalekite in his false story. Um, David understood, understood that this man was coming for a reward. He wasn't coming to help David. 2 Samuel tells us this. Um, later we'll get to this as we continue our series. But David is saying, When one told me, saying, Behold, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good tidings... I took hold of him and slew him in Ziklag, who thought that I would have given him a reward for his tidings. So David understood what this man was coming for. This man was coming for, he had made such great effort, not because he wanted David to know, but he wanted something from David. He, he wanted, he wanted, and David also understood that most likely this man was a liar. Okay? You look at his account of um, him meeting with Saul. If they're following hard after him, if they were close, if they were pursuing, if they were close upon him, there's not going to be that much talking. Okay, there's, they had this big old drawn out conversation about where are you from? How are you doing? How's your day going? Okay, uh, big red flag. That, not how it's actually supposed to go. But David treated this Amalekite with justice based on his own story. He's like, you, you said you stood upon and you killed Saul? You had no right to do that, and David executed justice upon him. He wasn't killing him out of um, vindictiveness or that. He said, no, this is, you've committed murder, therefore, by man's blood shall your blood be shed. You're going to pay for the crimes that you've done. At this point, I think he was going, no, 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 I really didn't do it. I, I promise you I didn't do it. And David said, um, he said, out of your own mouth, we're going to, we're going, you're going to be judged out of what you've said and what you've claimed. You're going to pay for your crimes. The Amalekite was saying, here's David's crown. You can have it right here. He said, I've already told Saul I'm not doing it my way, and I'm not, you, I don't need your help. God will bring me to the throne in his time. And then verses 17 through the rest of the chapter is a song, is a um, really a eulogy that David writes for Saul and Jonathan and for those who died in the battle. How are the mighty fallen in Israel? And basically, David talks about how, tell it not in Gath. Don't, do, we, don't, we don't want the enemies of God to celebrate this. This is horrible. This is sad. This is celebrated by the, uh, by the enemies of God, but this isn't the way it should be. But David said, um, he says, Saul and Jonathan were lovely and pleasant. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. David said, I remember the good things of Saul and Jonathan. 
I remember their strength. I remember their courage. Let's remember how they, um, God gave them victory in certain things and they served the Lord. You remember Jonathan, one of the best friends he'd ever had. He says, he says stronger than passing the love of women. It's been said that those who serve in combat together have a stronger bond than even family relations, that there is a, a bond that is beyond understanding of those who have not been in that type of situation. Jonathan had been there when David had fought Goliath, not on the battlefield with him, but had been there with him. In the ensuing battle, David, Jonathan had been there with him as Saul, his own father, had tried to uh, attack him, and uh, yet Jonathan had been there with him, and he says, I remember the love that we had, I remember the care that we had one for another. Over and over again, Saul and Jonathan, David calls Saul and Jonathan mighty. But notice in verse number 22, this was pointed out to me in a sermon by a, a pastor, um, Brother David Hetzer, and it was, it was incredible. He says this, look at this. From the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan turned not back, and the sword of Saul returned not empty. You know what we don't see David mentioning it here? He doesn't mention the spear. You're not going to find the spear anywhere in his eulogy, in his dirge for Saul and Jonathan. David could have mentioned, well, Saul did this to me and he did that to me and he did this to me. He could have mentioned all the spears that Saul threw at him. But when David saw the judgment of God come upon Saul, he chose to remember the bow and not the spear. He chose to remember the good things Saul had done instead of the hurts he had received. He refused to allow bitterness for the past that he had gone through. Man, dude, they, they really deserved that. No, that was not his spirit at all. He chose to remember the bow and the sword that had fought for God, that had done good things, instead of remembering the hurt, the real hurts, the real problems that he had received, instead of holding on to those, he said, no, I'm not, it's not that he said, pretended they didn't exist. It wasn't that he just said, oh, that's not, oh, we could just, for no, he just said, I'm going to choose purposefully to remember how God did use Saul and how God did use Jonathan and how God used them in mighty ways and I'm, not go I'm going to choose not to focus on the hurts that I received. You see, David responded to God's removal of Saul in a godly way. He kept a patient, humble heart. He wept. He didn't allow the Amalekites, the, the crown of Saul in his hand, to make him get impatient. He said, I'm going to wait. And he said, I'm not going to let bitterness take root. When, when we remember Saul, and this was, it says it was there to, it's written in the book of Jasher, this was something that was to be passed down. This was something that was to be taught to the children of Israel. This is how we're going to remember Saul. David told his men, we're not going to remember the times in the wilderness. We're not going to focus on the hurts that we received. No, we're not going to allow bitterness to take root because God delivered us in this time and we're going to remember the goodness of God. Two main points before we go, before we finish tonight. What do we see in this text? 
Number one, God keeps his word. God always keeps his word. But this is about God and his plan, not about our comfort, not about our plans. Because it's God keeping his word, we can leave it in his hands. God took care of Saul. God removed Saul in God's time. But David had to remember, Saul was never the true enemy of David. He was just used by Satan to hinder and trouble David. Okay, Yes, was Saul against David? Yes, was Saul the physical face behind a lot of problems that David was facing? Absolutely. But Saul wasn't the real enemy. It wasn't the removal of Saul. And everything is perfect. Okay? Sometimes we can look at that. We can view the situation. If I can just get that out of the way, if I can get, just get that person to change their heart, if I could just get that situation to resolve itself, life will be so much easier. Well, it will be with that one. But there'll be something else. There's always going to be something. Okay? And so David remembered, God keeps his word. And so whatever I'm going to face in the future, I can leave it in God's hands. Because God dealt with Saul, I don't have to worry about trying to get to the throne. God will take care of that in his time. I can leave that in God's hand. Um, and you remember this, this isn't about me. This is about God's plans. The, the, for, the book of 1 Samuel is, and book of 2 Samuel is not truly about David. It's about God and about God's plans and God's faithfulness and God's goodness. And David said, I can leave it in your hands because what's going on here is not really about me or what I can accomplish or what I'm supposed to enjoy or what I'm supposed to have. This is God's plan. God will keep his word. God will accomplish his plans. I just need to wait on the Lord. And when we're waiting on the Lord, it takes a lot of the pressure off. It can take a lot of the stress off. When we're not trying to pull every switch and make everything happen, no, the Lord will take care of that. God will keep his word just like he has promised. He's going to accomplish his plans. The wrongs that David faced, God righted those wrongs in his time, in his way, and God was going to bring David to the throne. It's going to be a while. Even after the removal of Saul, we're going to find out it's going to be seven and a half years before he's the king of all Israel. And there's going to be more problems that David's going to have to face. And then once he becomes king, there's going to be more problems that David's going to have to face. But here, God had delivered. He said, I'm going to leave it in your hands. Number two, we have to respond in humility without bitterness. Don't rejoice over God's judgment in a situation. Okay? Did Saul deserve what he got? Yes, because God only is just. But David was concerned more about the people than about his vindication. He wasn't, man, Saul deserved this, okay? What is that? That's pride. Okay? That guy's going to, no, wait a second, what was his spirit? He was weeping over that. As we see God's judgment coming in our country, we need to weep and we need to pray over what's going on in our country. We need to weep and we need to pray as we see people's lives are destroyed by sin. It's not, man, I told you that was going to happen. Why didn't you listen? And it was like, there should be a sorrow in our heart, a humility. How about this? 
don't allow the Amalekites to help you accomplish God's plan. There's always going to be somebody there that's going to want to help. But what do you think would have happened to David if he had showed up in Israel wearing Saul's crown? David, we love you, but how did you come into possession of that? Well, this guy said he killed Saul. Do you think that would have sounded really good? Okay. People are going to... Um, there's always going to be the temptation to take the shortcut. There's always going to be the temptation. This is going to be the easy way, but it's not. Don't allow other pe- don't allow the help of this world. Seek God to work this out. We don't need those who are doing things their own way and manipulating things. We don't need that to move forward for God. Leave it in the hand of God. But remember the blessings, not the hurts or the wrongs. There's going to be times where even those who should be helping you are going to hurt you. There's going to be times when a pastor fails you. There's going to be times when parents fail you. There's going to be times when brothers and sisters in Christ are going to say the most hurtful, spiteful things. There's times in church, even in good churches, where church members turn on a pastor and there's, there's trouble and there's uh, uh, the splits and all kinds of horror. Wait a second. But what we need to remember, and if we're trusting God, is don't remember the spears. Remember the bows. Remember the blessings of God. Because if Dave, God was going to bring David in to be the king, but if he, had, if he was holding on to the spears and the past hurts that had come upon him, he was not going to be able to make right decisions to help the people who had once hurt him because now he had to be the king even over the people who had chased him. Now he had to be the king over all Israel in a short amount of time. And in fact, he's going to deal with civil war. He's going to deal with problems that are going to come up many times. And if David had held on to that bitterness, it would have greatly hindered his ability to guide and to shepherd the people that God had given him and been the king that he needed to be. When God delivers, don't hold on to the past hurts. Think about the blessings of God because it's in his hands. And it's about what he wants to do in our lives for his glory. God is going to do it. We just have to trust him. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your blessings. Lord, I pray that you would help us to serve you, help us to trust you and follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. We'll take a moment. If you need to pray there in your seat, if you need to come forward, let's do some business with the Lord if the Lord has spoken to your heart.